the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Guess what? Right now, God's preparing us for eternity. That's what it's all about. He's not preparing you for tomorrow or for next week or next month or next year or the next 10 years. He's got the long view in mind with you. Yes, he's going to be working in your life every day. Of course he is. He's the good shepherd. But what he's preparing you for and preparing me for ultimately is eternity with him. He's working the long view plan. So often we get caught up in all the little things of the day-to-day life that we forget there's one great big picture. Trials and drama seem to stack up and it's hard to see beyond your own self. Today, Pastor Dan encourages us to maintain focus on the big picture, that this world is not your home. This life is merely a road to eternity. Be conscious of your priorities. Don't pay attention to things and words that don't warrant it. When you keep Christ as your focus, you can't help but be consumed by Him. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. on here in verse 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And so Jeremiah is aware of these false prophets that are among the people in the Babylonian captivity, uh, and they're telling the people Hey, you're only going to be in Babylon a short time, two years tops, then we're all going home. And the Lord says, don't listen to them. They're lying to you. Uh, They're prophesying in my name falsely. I didn't send them to you. I didn't tell them to say these things to you. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at, at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return To this place. So here for the second time now. The Lord tells them. That they're going to be in that captivity. For a total of 70 years. Not two years. But 70 years. And what was that like. When they got this letter in Babylon. And they're thinking. We're going home any day. You know two years tops. Clock's ticking. We're all short timers here. And you get this letter. From the Lord. From the pen of Jeremiah. Saying, those guys are lying to you. You're going to be here 70 years. So go ahead, build houses, plant an orchard, get married, have kids, because you're going to be here a long time. 
That would be pretty discouraging, right? But even, even, though, even though the Lord wants them to know that He hasn't forsaken them, he, He's not finished with them, and He tells them now in verse 11, He wants to assure them of this. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, verse 11 is a very well-known verse, probably to most of us. We hear this verse a lot. Sometimes you see it on posters or pictures. Uh, but we see here that the immediate context of this verse is that it's spoken to those that were in captivity as they're receiving the news that they're going to be there for 70 years, not two years. And that they need to just go ahead and settle down because they're not going anywhere. He writes this verse to them to comfort them and to reassure them that God still has a plan for them, that God has a future in store for them so that they have hope beyond their present circumstances. So with this really, really uh, hard news, this hard pill to swallow, we're going to be here 70 years. You know, read that again. Did you say 70 years? With that hard pill, he also, he also reassures them and comforts them. It doesn't mean, just because this is hard and unexpected, that it doesn't mean that, that God has forsaken them, or that God doesn't have a plan for them, or that God doesn't have a future for them, or God doesn't have any kind of hope for them. And that's what he wants to convey to them. And what God says to those in captivity here in verse 11 it's also true for us. These verses express the heart of God toward His people. So it's, it's not like God has thoughts for those that were in the captivity, but doesn't have thoughts for us, or that God has a, a plan that's thoughts of peace and not of evil and a future and a hope for them, but He doesn't have those same things for us. The verse applies to us too. These things are true for us as well. Again, the immediate context is the people in captivity, but God's the same. He thinks of us. He knows the thoughts that he has of us. In fact, in, in the Psalms, I'll just read a couple of Psalms to you. In Psalm 40, David, David says, And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God's thoughts towards you are more than can be numbered. Uh, in Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. More than the number of the grains of sand are his thoughts towards us. There are too many to be counted. And his thoughts for us are thoughts of peace. God wants us to have peace and not evil. You know, it would have been easy for those in that captivity to receive that letter and receive the news that they're going to be there for 70 years and think that God intended evil for them or that God is against them or that God is angry with them and that God is putting them on a shelf in some way. And we do that sometimes, don't we? depending on what the circumstances are, and we find ourselves in tough circumstances that we didn't expect, and, and we think, I've done something. God's angry with me. God's forsaking me. You know, you think about 
uh, Jesus and the disciples when they're on the Sea of Galilee in the boat and Jesus is asleep up in the bow and they get caught in that storm and the boat begins to take on water and the disciples are trying everything to keep the boat afloat and they realize they can't keep up with it and they wake Jesus up and what do they say to Jesus? Don't you care that we're perishing? And they think the inactivity of Jesus means he doesn't care. Because Jesus isn't jumping up to save them and rescue them. He doesn't care. And that's what we do, right? We think, well, if he's, if he's not reacting the way I think he should react in my circumstances and do what I think he should do in my circumstances, well, it means he doesn't care. Or he doesn't listen. And it's wrong. His, his ways are different from our ways. Is all that that means. It just means that he, he's, he wasn't planning to handle that situation the way the disciples thought he should handle that situation. He was going to handle it a different way. Is all that that means. The same is true for us. It just means he's not, going to, he's not planning to handle it the way that we want him to handle it. The way we think he should handle it. He's going to handle it the way he thinks he should handle it. And so for those in captivity here, they could have thought, well, God's plan for us must be evil. We're going to be here for 70 years. But what he does here is he reassures them by saying to them, I have a plan for you. It's a plan of peace and it's not of evil. Again, to go back to the example of disciplining, when when we discipline our children, our children may interpret our discipline as, as something evil or unloving or that we're against them. But we do it to bring peace into their life, to bring order into their life. We do it for their good. And they misinterpret what we're doing. And we can misinterpret what God's doing in our life as something evil. Or something harsh because he's against us in some way. And that's not the case at all. Look at verse 11 again. God says, I have a future and a hope for these people. Even as they are in exile and under discipline. He's talking about this future. He's going to give them a future and a hope. And and understand here that this future, and this is so important, this future that he's talking about and this hope is not just returning them from exile back to their own land. The future and hope he has for them is much larger than that. It's much greater than that. It's much more glorious than returning from exile back to their homeland. He's working on a much bigger plan for them. Look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away Captive. Notice the Lord says he will gather them from all the nations and all the places where he has driven them, not just regathering them from Babylon. This isn't just about returning from Babylon. That's what it is about for the people that are in Babylon. That's that's all it's about for them in their minds, but not in God's mind. In God's mind, this is all about the final regathering of the Jewish people at the end of the age in preparation for the kingdom age. That's what this is all about. 
Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth radio ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. They've got this short view of things. We want to go home. We don't want to be in Babylon anymore. God's got a long view on it. He's thinking, you guys need to be ready for the kingdom when Jesus comes and he's ruling and reigning on the earth as king of kings and lord of lords from Jerusalem. So, so he's looking ahead here to the kingdom age. That's the future and hope he's preparing them for in Babylon. And guess what? Right now, God's preparing us for eternity. That's what it's all about. He's not preparing you for tomorrow or for next week or next month or next year or the next 10 years. He's got the long view in mind with you. Yes, he's going to be working in your life every day. Of course he is. He's the good shepherd. But what he's preparing you for and preparing me for ultimately is eternity with him. He's working the long view plan. We got the short view. I need to get through this week. I need to get through this month. I need to get through the next year, the next 10 years. And he's thinking, I need to get you ready for the kingdom of heaven. He's got the long view going. Just as he does here with those in captivity. He's, he's preparing them for the kingdom age. He's preparing us for eternity. Now verse 15. Because you have said the Lord has raised up, up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, And I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Those that were in the captivity thought that those that were able to stay back in Jerusalem and Judah, that they were the lucky ones. And that those that were carried away into the captivity, that we were the unlucky ones because we're here in Babylon. And everybody else is back in Jerusalem and in Judah. And we're the, we're the ones that are here in Babylon in captivity. And it's not fair that we've got to be here and they get to stay there in the land, but what the Lord says here is those that stayed behind and did not go into the captivity will be destroyed by the sword and by famine and pestilence. In other words, those in Babylon are the lucky ones. You know, the first time my wife and I went to Israel, 
We had a tour guide who was, uh, he was an Israeli Jew, and his family was originally from Germany. His parents were from Germany, and we were talking to him about how did he end up in Israel. Well, his parents were living as Jews, German Jews, uh, when the Nazis came to power. And early on, when the Nazis came to power in Germany, they expelled 60,000 Jews from Germany and sent them to Palestine. And his parents were among those 60,000 Jews that were expelled by the Nazis out of the country and sent to Palestine. And the way that this guy put it, he said, my parents were the lucky ones because they got sent out of their country by the Nazis. Now, at the time, I mean, they were Germans. They were German Jews. That was their homeland. And I'm sure at the time, this, of course, was before all the other things the Nazis did and rounding up the Jews and putting them in ghettos and concentration camps and killing them. At the time, they probably thought, well, this is terrible, that we've got to leave our homeland and go and start a whole new life with nothing in this foreign land. But in hindsight, they were the lucky ones because they got kicked out. And here, for those that are in the Babylonian captivity, they're the lucky ones. And those that stayed behind in Jerusalem and Judah, they were going to be the unlucky ones. And sometimes our point of view on a matter can completely be wrong. And how we view something can be completely wrong. And sometimes hindsight shows us as time goes on and we see how things play out, we can see, well, that was just the mercy of God in my life. And here I thought I was the one who was getting the bad deal when really it was the mercy of God protecting me and I was better off because of the way things worked out than because they didn't work out the way that I wanted them to work out. So going on now to verse 21. In verse 21 now, Jeremiah calls out two false prophets by name that are there in Babylon. Again, he goes on here in verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name, and the people believe them. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them... A curse shall be taken up for all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am witness, says the Lord. So these two false prophets that he names by name, Ahab and Zedekiah, they've prophesied lies to you and they will be put to death by Nebuchadnezzar and King Nebi will roast them in a fire, which must have been his preferred method of killing people because we know the story from Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He put them in the fiery furnace. So this just must have been what he did with people that he didn't like. He roasted them in a fire. And of course, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Lord was with them in the fire, and the Lord protected them from the fire. He says in verse 22 that the Lord will make them a proverb or a curse where people will say, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. And that will be a kind of a curse that you say 
to people. Will the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab? Oh yeah, well you, you know, that kind of stuff. And he tells us in verse 23, the charge against them. They claim to be prophets. They claim to be uh, men of God, speaking for God, the voice of God, if you will. And yet they're committing adultery with their neighbor's wives. They're immoral. And it's important to look at a person's life. It's important to look at their lifestyle. Not just what they say, but how they live. You know, Jesus talked about a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And you can tell a person by the fruit that they bear. Not just what they're saying, which in this case is a lie, but not just what they're saying, but how are they living? What fruit is there in their life? And for these guys, they're committing adultery. They're sexually immoral. A sin like adultery, it could be that that wasn't public knowledge that they were committing adultery. But we're told at the end of verse 23, the Lord says, I know, and I'm a witness to it. So nothing is hidden from Him. That's why it's important for us to walk in the light with Him and confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Verse 24, You shall also speak to Shemaiah, the Nelhamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests. So this now is a letter from Shemaiah, who is in Babylon, that he sends back to Jerusalem, kind of in response to Jeremiah. Verse 26, the Lord has made you priests. So he's writing, so this Shemaiah guy who's in Babylon, he's writing this to the high priest in Jerusalem. The Lord has made you priests instead of, Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? What's he saying here? He's saying Jeremiah is demented and he's made himself a prophet. And why haven't you arrested him? Put him in stocks. Notice verse 27. He makes himself a prophet. This, you, you need to deal with this guy. <laughs> That's why he writes the letter. So verse 28. Here's what he's done. For he has sent to us in Babylon saying, This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. Now Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, send to all those in captivity. So now Jeremiah is going to send a letter back in response to Babylon, to the people in captivity, saying, thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah, the Nehlamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie, Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah and his family and shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. So Shemaiah and his whole family will die in the captivity and no one from his family will survive 
No one from his family will return to the land at the end of the captivity. God always has the final word in these things. He always has the final word. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel, but they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Rings true.